Welcome to the Investing in Oil and Gas.com podcast, where Mike brings you in the game and on the drilling rig. And now, Mike May. Hi there, this is Mike. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about cementing. We're going to be drilling a well very soon, and I'm reviewing various cementing proposals from cementing service companies. And we will have two cementing jobs in our well. We'll have one for the surface casing and one for the long string. The long string is sometimes called the production casing or production string. In our case, our surface casing is 8 and 5 eighths, 24 pound casing. And the long string, which will go to the TD of the well, is going to be five and a half inch, 1550 casing. That means five and a half inches in diameter, outside diameter, and 15.5 pounds per foot. The surface casing is very simple. So what I'm gonna do is talk about the long string or cementing the long string. In the proposal that I've received from the service company, there are two sections. First, there's the engineering plan or design which describes what we're going to do physically. So it deals with inches and dimensions and volumes and sacks of cement and yield and water and all this. And then at the end, there's a costs or <laughs> line item costs for all of these things. So it comes in two parts, the, the engineering design and then the cost section. In our case, we're going to be doing a two-stage cement job when we run our five and a half inch casing. So we're going to run five and a half inch casing to approximately 5,000 feet. And then we'll have a DV tool at approximately 3,000 feet. And so what we're going to do is pump cement down the inside of the five and a half inch casing and back up the outside or the annulus, which is the space between the borehole wall and the outside of the five and a half casing. In our case, the borehole is seven and seven eighths inches in diameter, and that's because the bit is seven and seven eighths inches in diameter. And then our casing is five and a half inches OD or outside diameter. So what we're going to do is pump cement down the inside of the casing and then back up the outside in the annulus. And the annulus is the space between the outside of the casing and the borehole wall. So it's the space between the five and a half inch outside diameter casing and the seven and seven eighths inch bore hole. We'll pump the cement down the inside and back up the outside to a height of about 3000 feet. And then we'll have a DV tool in the casing string and we'll drop a ball down the inside of the casing again. And when that ball reaches the DV tool, it will open a valve, uh, basically a hole in the DV tool, so that we'll pump a second stage of cement once again down the inside of the casing but it will exit at the DV tool at approximately 3,000 feet and then go back up the annulus. And then we'll, in that way, we'll cement all the way from 3,000 feet to surface. So the well in the end will be cemented all the way from TD to surface. The first stage will cover from 5,000 feet back up to 3,000 feet. And the second stage will cover from 3,000 feet all the way to surface. So the first part of the proposal from the service company is the engineering design. So we've got the casing size listed at five and a half inches, the hole size at seven and seven eighths of an inch, 
We've got the TD, which is approximately 5,000 feet. And we've got the height that we want to bring the cement, which is back up to 3,000 feet. And then we've got an excess plan here of about 25 or 30 percent. And so what we're saying is we have the theoretical hole volume, which is that space that is between the borehole wall and the outside of the casing, which theoretically we can calculate, you know, to a precise amount because the borehole should be seven and seven eighths of an inch in diameter and the outside of the casing should be five and a half inches in diameter. But things are not perfect in the real world and there's washouts and things like that in the hole. So sometimes you actually need more cement than, than you think you will, you know, under the theoretical case. We will be helped when we run open hole logs. We'll have a caliper that will measure the borehole wall and we'll be able to calculate the borehole volume. But right now, before we've done anything, we're just in the planning stages. We're just going to assume a, an excess of 25%. And that will be adjusted at the time we actually do the cement job because that will be immediately after we've run the wireline open hole logs and we'll have a better idea of the borehole volume. But for now, for planning stages, 25% will suffice. The next section in the plan is our pre-flush volumes. So we're going to pre-flush with a certain number of barrels of water, then a certain number of barrels of mud, and then again with a certain number of barrels of water. So we have those specifications. The next section is the cement. And here we specify the exact number of sacks of cement that are necessary for each stage. Of course, once again, this is dependent on the volume, the theoretical volume of the annulus and the number of feet of height that you want to pump cement into. So we've got a specific number of sacks of cement, and then we also specify what kind of cement and what additives. So in this case, we're using class H cement, and then I've got a long string of additives that uh, are added to the cement. And finally, we get the results. So if we have all this height and these volumes and this number of sacks of cement and all these additives, we get the final results that say our slurry, our cement slurry, will have a certain density in pounds per gallon, a certain yield. And by the way, that density is quite high. And that's why we have a DV tool and we're being careful and conservative here and doing this in two stages. Because if we use this very dense cement slurry, and attempt to do it all in one stage, it might get all the way to surface, which is what we want it to do, but then again, it might not. At some point, you may have so much hydrostatic head that you'll break down certain zones in the well. So that's why we're doing it in two stages, just to be conservative. So once again, now we're down here in the results section of our design. Our density is specified, I should say our density of our cement slurry is specified in pounds per gallon. We have a certain yield. In other words, that's how many cubic feet of cement slurry will be produced for each sack of cement that we put into our mixture. Then there's the number of mixing barrels or gallons of water that are needed per sack of cement. And then there's a total water volume and that's measured in barrels. And then there's a total slurry volume and that's the cement slurry volume, also measured in barrels. And so with that, I know how much water I need to have on location to mix this cement 
to do the job. Uh, if you've ever mixed cement around the house to build something, uh, you, you have a water hose and a couple of sacks of cement in a wheelbarrow, and you really don't have to do these calculations. But on this scale, it's an engineering problem, and you do need to plan everything in advance. So you need to know how many sacks of cement you'll need and how much water you'll need. Our water is coming from a pond that's really just collecting rainwater, and we need to make sure we've transported that water to location, stored it in a tank. Usually the drilling rigs will have what they call a rig tank, but we need to make sure that they do have the tank, that it has sufficient volume, and that we've pumped that water to location and filled that tank prior to the cement job. Alternatively, if you don't want to use water from a nearby pond, you know, where you collect rainwater, you can also call a truck or a transport truck and they can bring fresh water to location for this purpose, for the purpose of mixing water. But the point is you do need to plan exactly how much water you need in each stage and where that water is going to come from. In our case, we are using rainwater that collects in a pond and this pond is used by cattle on a ranch and the cattle drink from this water. It's fresh water. It's just ground water that collects in a low spot whenever it rains. One thing I will do before this job is I will go out to the pond and collect a sample of the water from the pond and bring it to the cementing company and they will check it and make sure that it's truly fresh water and that it does not contain chlorides or too many chlorides. That can inhibit the cement from setting or it can make the cement set too fast. So if there's something in your water that you're unaware of, you, <laughs> you run the risk of your cement not setting or it's setting too fast. If it sets too fast, it might set up in the well while you're pumping. <laughs> That's no fun. You have to drill the well twice. You have to drill the well once at casing then you fill it up with cement, which you obviously don't want to do, and you have to drill out your own cement. So in either case, you want the cement to set up, but you also want it to set up at the right time. So we'll have that water checked before the job. So I just walk you through the design for the first stage. And then in the second stage, once again, we specify the casing size, which is the same, the hole size, which is the same, and the height that we're going to pump the cement. So we're starting with our DV tool at approximately 3,000 feet, and we're gonna pump cement all the way to the surface in this case. We'll have a pre-flush again with water. And once again, we'll specify the slurry with the number of sacks and the results. So our slurry will have a certain density in pounds per gallon, a certain yield in cubic feet per sack. So in other words, we will yield or produce so many cubic feet of cement slurry for each sack of cement that we put into the slurry. And there's a certain amount of mixing water that's required per sack. So that's a certain number of gallons per sack. And finally, we'll have a total water to mix, which is in barrels. And we will produce a certain total slurry volume also in barrels. So what I need to do before this job is make sure that I have enough water on location to mix both of these slurries for these two stages. And I also need to check the chlorides well before the job to make sure that the water that we're gonna get out of the cattle pond is acceptable and doesn't have too many 
natural chlorides in it for some reason. Most of the time are okay, but you definitely need to check that. And so the next section is costs. I've got charges per mile for the pump trucks and the bulk cement trucks and the pickup. I've got a setup charge, which is just a flat fee for coming out to location. Then I've got costs for the actual cement, which is in sacks. So in our case, we're running class A, class H, and a light cement. So there's three different kinds of cement, and I've got a certain number of sacks for each kind of cement. So my unit price is my price per sack, and then I've got a total. The next section is float equipment, and this particular cementing company sells float equipment, and I can buy that from them, or I can buy it directly from any other provider if I want to, but in this case, I will probably buy it from them. So they're proposing a float shoe, which is the shoe that goes on the very bottom of the five and a half inch casing, and the word float means that it has a valve in it. So when you hear float shoe or float collar, if you just said shoe, that would mean a piece of equipment at the bottom of the casing. That would be a casing shoe. But if you add the word float, that means that the shoe has a valve in it. So a float shoe is a piece of equipment that goes at the bottom of the casing, the very bottom, and has a valve in it. And the valve is a one-way valve. So that means you can pump cement through it. You know, when you pump down the inside of the casing, it will go out through that valve and the valve will allow fluid to flow down and out and back up the annulus. But if the fluid tries to go in the reverse direction, that valve will shut. So that's what a float shoe is. And then the next thing is a float collar, which is just like any other casing collar. And you usually put this one joint above the shoe. So you might have, a, you could have a 40 foot joint of casing, or you might use a short joint, say a 20 foot joint of casing. But in either case, that first casing collar above bottom is usually where you use a float collar instead of a normal collar. So if it was a normal collar, you would just call it a collar. But in this case, it's, we use a float collar, which means it also has a one-way valve in it. It allows fluid to flow down, but not in the reverse direction. And that's good because when you pump cement, it's usually a very high density, say 12, 13, 14 pounds per gallon. And then oftentimes you'll chase it or follow it with water or fresh water, which has a density of about 8.3 or 8.4 pounds per gallon. And so if you didn't have those valves in the float collar and the float shoe, that very dense slurry of mud in the annulus, which is outside the casing, would try to go back down and it's called U-tubing, but it tries to go down and back up the inside of the casing until the pressures on the two sides are balanced. But we want all the cement to stay on the outside and we don't care what the cement wants to do. We want it to stay on the outside of the casing. And so those valves in the float collar and the float shoe prevent the cement from flowing back the wrong way. So they hold it in place because oftentimes there is a higher hydrostatic pressure outside the casing than there is inside the casing down at the shoe. So if you didn't have those valves, the cement would try to YouTube. And you can also try to hold it back, you know, by shutting in the inside of the casing at the surface, but it's much better to have that valve at the bottom and you have direct control down at that point. 
bottom will have a float collar and a float shoe, and then we'll also have centralizers. We want our casing to be well centralized so that we get cement all the way around it on all sides. So in this float equipment section, I've got a float shoe, a float collar, a DV tool, and centralizers. And the final section is additives. And additives vary from one cement company to the next and from one design to the next. Additives are what makes cementing fun. There's all kinds of possibilities to how you mix your slurry and in what proportions you add additives. But in some, what you're trying to do is you're trying to limit the fluid loss. You're also trying to get good bond between the casing and the cement and between the cement and the formation. And you don't want it to break down, so you don't want to have too high a density. You also want to retard the cement over time so that it gives you time to pump it into position before it sets. And sometimes you'll also add additives that, that are necessary for certain temperatures. So the total in this proposal includes mileage, a cement setup charge, a charge for the number of sacks of cement that we use, the float equipment, and the additives. And so I've got a total in the lower right corner, and that's my proposal for this cementing company that includes the engineering design and the costs. Well, that's going to be all for this episode. I want to say thank you very much for being here. I really do appreciate it. It's a lot of fun to do these podcasts. Our website is investinginoilandgas.com. That's investinginoilandgas.com. Check it out. Our email address is there, and there's also a place to join our email list if you're ever interested in investing in some of these oil and gas deals you'll probably want to be on that list. Once again, thank you very much. Visit us at investinginoilandgas.com and join our email list.